today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. You can't change an animal. You can change an animal. You can discipline an animal. An animal can be taught tricks, but you can't change the basic nature of any animal in the world. The only thing, only human nature that can be changed is human nature. Everything else is here. Everything else is there, unchangeable, except human nature. You can be changed, I can be changed by the power of God in Christ. You doubt it? The truth is we all wander off the path sometimes. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Horns and Halos, and shares how Jesus came to rescue when we went astray and how he always will. That's coming up in a moment, so stay with us. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Shattered Dreams. It's a cold, cold winter night in Pittsburgh, and a 16-year-old girl named Carol looked at her newborn son very, very carefully because she knew it was the last time she'd ever see him. She looked at his feet and his hands and his face because she had given him over to be adopted. She was a national honor student, lovely in every way, Christian home, professing Christian, but a one night stand, she went out with a boy who had already gone to college on a football scholarship she'd gotten pregnant. Her father arranged for her to go to a, another town and carry the child full term, and she gave birth to this boy. Then she went back to her school. No one knew anything about her parents, and one cousin continued her academic work, was outstanding in every way, found forgiveness from the Lord and the church, and she lived the rest of her life beautifully for God. All of us in different ways, ladies and gentlemen, could tell a story of going out into the far country for a period of time. We've been talking about that as we've looked at the greatest story ever told found in Luke chapter 15. Jesus was speaking to a large audience in that audience, we see the kind of people that were there and the comment that was made, and then we see what led to Jesus telling these three stories of lost and found. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear Jesus. The tax collectors, they're called publicans, not republicans, but publicans. They are the Jews who hawked themselves off, sold themselves to the Romans, and they would collect taxes from all the rest of the Jews, but all that they 
overcollected, they kept for themselves a built-in system of exploitation, and they were all filthy rich. In the audience were the hated tax collectors. And then it says in the audience, there were sinners. Who were sinners? They were people of the land. They were people who had no status. They couldn't go to the synagogue. They couldn't go to the temple. They were disrespected by everybody, disenfranchised. They were just sinners. They were throwaways. Nobody would speak to them. Certainly nobody would marry one of them. They would not get involved in the affairs of Israel. They were the despised. In one sense, they were the untouchables, the sinners. They were the audience hearing Jesus. And also in the audience were a couple of other groups. And it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained. The Pharisees, they kept all the law. They were super religious, super pious, super judgmental. And the scribes were those who copied the law and copied down the Mishnah, the interpretation of the law. And they were the theologians who applied the law. So the scribes and the Pharisees, along with the sinners and the tax collectors, and then they whispered to one another about Jesus and said, this man receives sinners. And there we have a quartet of words as we have an overview of the greatest story ever told. We will look at three quartets of words this gives meaning to what Jesus was teaching all of us, the crowd of that day, and all of us today. This man received sinners. Oh, and then a little parenthesis, and he even sits down and eats with them. I've been in my occupation for a long time. I can't tell you how many times people have said, well, I saw our pastor with, fill in the blank, or I saw my pastor over there, fill in the blank, as if we are not to associate with those who are not baptized, homogenized, vulcanized, and, and sanitized. <laughs> you see, Jesus associated with all people. All people went to hear him gladly. This man receives sinners, and therefore they judged him, and then Jesus gave us these three parables in that context. Now, remember, Jesus is teaching us what God is like. What is God like? How does God, what is the modus operandi of God? That's what Jesus is exposing. He's saying, this is what God thinks. This is how God operates, and he tells these stories. And by the way, the stories of the shepherd leaving all the sheep and going out looking for that one little lost lamb? Wow, unheard of, unheard of. And, and what about the woman who lost the coin? She stopped everything to find that coin. Unheard of. In the context, Jesus would say, God is like this. We get lost. He's out looking for us. That's what he does. Now, the Jews of that day and the Jews of today said, oh, no, God is not like that. God doesn't go out and try to bring us back home. He didn't go out looking for those that are, have lost their way. That's not who God is. God is separate. 
a sinner. Oh, God backs away. Jesus says, no, God is always seeking and searching and going out to find sheep that are lost, coins that are lost. And there, look, let me read for you this first uh, little parable here because I think it's so beautifully written. Jesus says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you that likewise there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just person they think they're just, who think they need no repentance. A sheep gets lost. By the way, you need to know about sheep. They are about the dumbest animal on the earth. Uh, that's, that's true. They're beautiful, but they're dumb. They have no way to defend themselves from any prey. They will not even drink water unless it's still, if the water is flowing, they don't get near it because they can't swim. Uh, and they're just helpless animals. Unless a sheep stays in the flock, in the sheepfold, unless a sheep has a shepherd, no sheep can survive. No sheep can survive. So how does this little sheep get lost? Here's the flock, here's the shepherd, and the sheep goes out and says, boy, there's some grass over there, and just wanders over there, and takes, and there's some more grass over there, and the sheep wanders, and there's some more grass over there. And before long, the sheep is around a bend. No sense of direction. A sheep doesn't have any sense of direction. And now the sheep can't hear the shepherd when he calls. He just wanders off. How does a sheep get lost? By gradualism. Not just running out in the wilderness or running away. No, sheep just takes one little step, another little step, and goes over here and goes over there. That's how sheep get lost. How do you and I get lost? Same way. Well, we didn't go to church last Sunday. Uh, we went to a ball game out of town and took the kids. We had a great time. We were going to drive back, but it was late and raining, and we just, you know, missed church. No big deal. We've all done that. I've done that. Then the next week, we have company who's come, and the company, they, they don't go to church much. I didn't want to drag them up to our church. All of a sudden, we, we go over here. We visit over here. We go to the lake. We, we, we go to a ranch. We're invited over here. And, and all, we wake up and say, you know, I, I'm not at church much. And, you know, I'm not in Bible study. We just gradually move away. We say, you know, when I go to church, I don't feel what I used to feel with God. Something must be wrong up there. You know, I used to be close to God and the Lord, but I don't feel that way anymore. Who moved? You see, that's how I get lost. That's how you get lost. We just wander away a little bit here, a little neglect there. We don't read our Bible here. We won't pray there. We don't spend time. We don't listen. That's how we get lost. We just 
One, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian, but we have lost something of the joy and the spontaneity and the freedom of being in the flow and having the shepherd speak to us daily, especially in God's house. That's how she get lost, gradually. That's how we get lost, gradually. Then what about the next parable that Jesus told? They went out to seek. That was strange to the Jews, but look at verse 8. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace that which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, who turns around. What's the story? A piece of silver, probably a silver drachma. She would have it on her headband. It would be her dowry, 10 pieces. It means that she's married. It's like losing your wedding ring. And she lost the ring. Where did she lose it? In the house. She didn't go off somewhere. She didn't wander off. She lost it doing her work. She hadn't secured it. She lost it through carelessness. Let me tell you, in, in a house there in Israel, it would be a, a small house, a one window, about 18 inches and in round. The floor would be a dirt floor with reeds on it. And you can see how working you'd lose your ring and how hard it'd be to find it. It would be dark. She'd have to sweep and look very carefully. She lost that ring through carelessness. How do we lose our sons and daughters, parents? Through carelessness. You didn't notice when they came home. You didn't look in their eyes. You didn't smell the warning that was there. You didn't observe the friends they were running with, their habits and their background and what they were taught in their home. I can't tell you how many times with my three boys that Joe Beth and I would say, boys, you can't play with, and we'd name it, and they'd want to know why, and we wouldn't tell them really why because we knew the agenda of the parents and what went on in that family, and we pulled them away from those kids. And I'm sure they thought, we've got the meanest father and mother in all this world. I thought that about my mother. I said, you know, why did God give me this mean, strict mother? Thank God for my mother. Listen, parents, we lose our children through carelessness. Well, they went to beach retreat. They got baptized. They got a shirt. Let me tell you something. You got to pay attention. Your children do not need any more friends or confidants. They need parents, a father and a mother who pays attention. I can't tell you how many couples have lost their children once they went in the military, once they went off to school, and they say, I don't know what happened over there. Pay attention. Don't lose your kids or lose your way or get lost through carelessness. It's not fun. 
It's not just all streamlined and beauty, but one day when you pay attention and you bring your children up in the church and in the admonition of the Lord, they will rise up and they will call you blessed. That's what happens. That's how kids get lost. That's how families get broken. Pay attention early all the way through. And then we see the next quartet that teaches us here in this passage, this quartet of words. Look at verse 13. It says, not many days after. Now here we get in the prodigal son. The prodigal son says, dad, give me everything that I will have coming when you die. I want to get out of here. I'm tired of bringing it home. It's like a prison. I'm tired of my strict, pious, older brother who is so different from me. I need to get out and live my life and have freedom and express myself and be successful in the world. And so the father gave him what he would give him if he had died. And then that little phrase, that quartet of words, not many days after. He didn't leave immediately. Reckon what that young man did when he was still home, before he left, before he took off for the far country. Reckon what he did. You know what I think he did? He dreamed. He dreamed about what it was going to be like. Man, what, how he would express himself. How all the instinctive drives that he had, that his father had kept control of, how he could just eat, drink, and be merry, and enjoy himself anytime, anywhere, any way. Ah, dreaming about pleasure, hedonism, launching out, running my own life, following all the passions that are in me. Man, this is really living it up. I got a question for you. Why is eat, drink, and be merry, and just let the good times roll? Why does a life committed to that Never work out. Hmm. All hedonists in history end up as pessimists. Why do they never find the happiness and joy and freedom they're seeking? Why doesn't that work? Looks like it would. It's just following the natural drives that we seem to have. But right down in the middle of that lifestyle, there is an immutable law that stands up and says, halt, this life will never work. Now on the side, if you remember Solomon, solo man who had everything this world could ask for, he tried it all, read it carefully. He tried women, man, <laughs> what an extreme he went to. He, he tried power, what a powerful man he was. He tried riches, he became the richest man in all of history. He tried horticulture, he tried building, he tried agriculture. Solomon, read it, he tried everything and reached the end result of everything. Solomon had it all, but in the end they asked him, Solomon, tell me about your life, all that you have done. He said, it's all zero. It's all vanity. So why is it when we just launch out, 
let the good times roll, that life never works. That life never ends in genuine. Why is that? I'm going to tell you. It's the fact that God has placed eternity in every heart, in every life right here in this world. He's put eternity in you. He's put eternity in me. And there's always will be a restlessness until we, through Jesus Christ, get a relationship with our Heavenly Father. See, all of us are going to live forever. Yeah, we're all immortal. And nothing in this world will satisfy except we get a relationship with our Father because there's eternity in you. There's eternity in me. And that is a magnificent thing. So see, the prodigal goes out there and he says, not many days after. He dreams, but his dream was a false dream. But he had that dream. And then the next quartet of words are really fabulous. This is the one that, that really sings for me. Look at verse 17. It says, he came to himself. He came to himself. The final quartet of words. Those four words are perhaps one of the greatest compliments God ever gave to humanity. In other words, he is saying that when you are engaged in horns and not in halos, when you're the far country and not at home, when your life is broken and bent, that's not who you are. That's not who I am. How many times I've said, you know, I did that, but that's not really who I am, right? We've all said that. And that's not my character. That's not what I really believe. I don't know what got into me. That's not who I am. And here we have Jesus saying of the prodigal when he was there with the pigs, he came to himself. That is a great compliment on our human nature, your human nature. That's a great compliment and describing who we really are as human beings. We don't want to live with the flesh. That's where the horns are. We want to live in the spirit. That's where the halos are. But there's that conflict that is there. Human nature. A lot of people say, well, don't you know human nature can't be changed? By the way, that's the dumbest statement ever uttered. The only thing in this world, ladies and gentlemen, that can be changed is human nature. You can't name a single other thing God created that can be changed. You could take a palm tree and you could put it in Florida. It'll thrive. Take that palm tree, put it in Alaska, way out in the cold area. Let me, let, let me know how it makes it work. You see, you can't change the environment of that tree. You can't change an animal. You can change an animal. You can discipline an animal. An animal can be taught tricks, but you can't change the basic nature of any animal in the world. The only thing, only human nature that can be changed is human nature. Everything else is here. Everything else is there, unchangeable, except human nature. You can be changed. I can be changed by the power of God in Christ. You doubt it? 
Take your Bible sometime and look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 10. It tells the people who will never make the kingdom of God. A long, tough list. Scary. Liars, cheaters, swindlers, adulterers, fornicators, a long list of bad, godless people who will never make heaven. He's speaking to the church at Corinth, and when he gets through the list, he says, such were some of you. You see, by the power of God in Christ, he says, you've been changed. You've been forgiven. You've come back home from the far country. And that happens all the time. A 16-year-old boy, Dylan McCullough was in an English class, third period. He looked out the window, and he saw there a Mercedes-Benz drive up, red. He'd never really seen one. Had those big gold hubcaps, tan exterior. He wondered who in the world that was. And he saw a man get out of that Mercedes and straight and tall and confident, walked like an athlete, and he knew he was going to the school. He was thinking, well, I wonder what he wants. You see, this young man was brought up in a broken home by a single mother. He was adopted, but there were other children, and he had no way out except at 16, you could already tell he was a fabulous athlete. He was fast. He was tough, an outstanding football player. In a few minutes in this class, the pink slip came in, and they said, go to the principal. So Dylan got up, went to the principal, sat down, and the man who got out of that Mercedes-Benz came over to him and shook his hand. He says, I'm Sherman Smith. I'm the backfield coach at University of Miami here in Ohio, and I've come to offer you a football scholarship. And Sherman talked to him in that room. He talked about discipline. He talks about life. He talked about all the basic things. And now Dylan was attracted to him like no man he'd ever been attracted to before. He said, now this is a real man. This is someone I want to play for. Now he received a lot of other offers when he graduated. I mean, he was outstanding. But he decided he would go to the University of Miami where Sherman Smith was the coach. And when he got there and signed the first day, Smith got all the boys together. He said, gentlemen, while you're here, I'm going to treat every one of you as if you were my son. He said, you may not need a father, but that's the way I'm going to treat you anyway because you're here. My primary purpose is to make a man out of you, and in the process, you'll become a football player. And boy, during that year that Sherman Smith coached Dylan, it was really something. The next year, though, Smith went and became a coach, University of Illinois, and Dylan McCullough stayed there all four years. He was outstanding, made the Hall of Fame in the university, rushed for over 4,000 yards his senior year, and he was called. He was commissioned. He was drafted to play with the Cincinnati Bengals, professional football, NFL. But early, he was there for about one minute, and he had a 
career-ending injury. Could not play any longer. But Dillon went into coaching, high school coaching, married, children, Christian, all the influence of Sherman Smith. In the process, he decided, you know, I'd like to move and coach in the college ranch. He called Coach Smith, who was now with the Seattle Seahawks, professional coach. And he said, you know, coach, I'd like to coach in college. And, and Smith said, Dylan, why don't you come and be one of our interns here with Seattle in the NFL? We, we've got a position for you. And that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. Now, last year, Dylan discovered that a law had been changed in Pennsylvania that you could now find out at a certain time who your daddy was, who your mother was, if you'd been adopted. So he found out and got the number of someone named Carol, remember? And he called Carol and said, I'm your son that was given up for adoption. He told her what had happened in his life. And she was thrilled and said, we've got to get together, son. And then he was very reluctant. He said, I, I want to ask you about my, my father, my dad. And Carol said, you know, I don't know what happened to him. He said, I lost track. I knew he went to college and played football, but I don't know where he is now. I can't tell you how to get in contact with him. He said, would you tell me his name? He said, sure. She said, it was Sherman Smith. <laughs> Today, Dylan McGregor and Sherman Smith, Sherman's retired from coaching pro football. They're very close, father and son, and, and they just can't believe how all God always with Christians finishes up that which he begins. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Dr. Young, today you talked about how our dreams can sometimes lead us astray. How can we strive to make sure that our dreams line up with God's guidance and desire for our lives? To dream big visions for God, led by His principles, that's a wonderful enterprise in life. To dream how things should be, ought to be, if God is Lord and Savior of those involved. I begin every morning on my knees. I close every evening on my knees and ask God to permeate those thoughts while I am sleeping. And that certainly helps my dreams. Very good. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.